lawyer by training, writer and teacher by choice. Originally from New York, I am a proud wife and mother living in Los Angeles. Join me as we delve into the Holy Torah's teachings and apply them to our lives. I keep it short and sweet, but always deep. Welcome. Hi everyone, welcome back. I am very excited to be here and to continue our learning. So if you're thinking, who is this girl? My name is Jenna, and you can learn a little bit more about me at the beginning of the first episode of the podcast, and God willing, I intend to share more about my Jewish journey as we go, and hopefully I'm going to do at least one, if not a few episodes just, you know, talking about my story, because there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, okay, so I said we were going to start each episode speaking about Lashon Hara gossip, but I've decided that Today, at least, we're just going to focus on Shavuos, the upcoming holiday, because there's a lot of good things to talk about. So this week is Shavuos, Shavuot, which is the holiday of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. It's where we commemorate that experience. And I don't know about you, but growing up, I always thought of this idea that God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai is such like such a joke, honestly. Like I'm sorry to say that, but... I was just like, really? You expect me to believe that? It sounds like something out of a storybook. Um, you know, I always kind of believed in God, but but that was a bit of a stretch for me. And I really grew up thinking that the Torah was written by a bunch of men, you know, in the desert, by men by men who wanted to suppress women. And you know, as I said in the in the last podcast, I grew up in the Five Towns, so I had a lot of misconceptions about Orthodox Jews and Torah. And you know, I would see them walking down the street and think, you know, these people are like from the 18th century. Why can't they just join the modern world? And I just did not understand it all. So um, I ended up on an Israel trip when I was 19, which again, I discussed how that happened in in the last episode, but I ended up on this trip and I remember we were actually there for Shavuos and we stayed up all night learning and doing classes and we we were in the old city and we, we stood at the Kotel for sunrise and there were hundreds, if not thousands of Jewish people there praying at sunrise. And it, it was really an unbelievable experience. But at the time, I didn't really understand what we were celebrating because of my background just being so like disconnected from, from the Torah and like never really having even like heard of Shavuos before growing up or not even, not celebrating it certainly. So on that very trip, I had a class with Rabbi Lawrence Kellerman. A lot of his classes can be found on simpletoremember.com. I'm going to I'm going to link below because definitely worth listening to his classes. He's a Harvard graduate and his class gave me a lot of much needed information about about this whole Mount Sinai thing, which I'm going to share a little bit here. So, basically what he said was that you know, we think Moses Moses went up Mount Sinai and got the Torah for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's like, well, how do we know what happened up there? Like, why should we believe him? Why should I like change my whole life based on, you know, Moses going up the mountain when I wasn't even there? So he explains that like what actually happened was that the Jewish people came to Mount Sinai and God came down. And by the way, we're going to talk about why it was Mount Sinai specifically, but God came down and revealed the Torah to the Jewish people, he began to speak. He began to speak, and when he did, the the energy was so intense. I mean, it, it, the 
the devakis, like the, the connection to God was so direct and so intense beyond anything the Jewish people had ever seen that their souls literally left their bodies and God had to like breathe life back into them. To, to revive them. And after that happened, the people were, were trembling. They were, they were so afraid. And they said to most to Moshe, please go back up the mountain and, and, and get the rest of the Torah, you know, that we can't take anymore. So that's what happened. So what Rabbi Kellerman explained to me for the first time, and what I think is like an unbelievable idea is that Judaism is the only religion in world history that claims a mass revelation. There were at least 600,000, it could even be up to 3 million Jews who heard God speak all together at the same time at Mount Sinai. And there's, there's no other religion in the world that claims this kind of mass revelation. So if you want to, if you're interested in that and getting deeper into that and the rational approach to the Sinai experience, definitely check out simpletoremember.com. It, it was really an eye opener for me. And it was the first time I felt like, wow, this could actually be like a valid thing. So... There's a big theme of humility here when we talk about um, the giving of the Torah and Mount Sinai. It's actually stated that the mountains competed with one another for the honor of being the place where, where Hashem would descend and give the Torah to the Jewish people. And Mount Sinai didn't even compete because it was the lowest of the mountains. And so it just assumes Hashem wasn't going to choose it. But it was actually precisely because of Mount Sinai's humility, so to speak, that Hashem chose that place to give the Torah to the Jewish people. And we see a parallel here, too, with Moshe. Hashem asked Moshe, you know, go down to Egypt and, and get the Jewish people and bring them out. And Mo- Moshe hesitated. He, he felt he was not fit for that position. And if you think about it, he didn't grow up a slave like the other Jews. He was actually put in a basket by his mother, Yocheved, and sent down the river because there was an edict to throw all the Jewish babies in the, in the water. And who, who caught the basket was Batya, Pharaoh's daughter, and she raised him in Pharaoh's palace. So he felt like, you know, who am I to, to bring the Jews out? I didn't suffer like they did. And Hashem said to him, you're going to take them out of Egypt. You're going to take the Jewish people out and you will all serve me on Mount Sinai. And when he said that, Moshe was able to recognize that like Mount Sinai is a small and humble mountain, so too, as a small and humble man, he is maybe fit to, to bring the Jewish people out of Egypt and, and redeem them. We see this quality of humility with, uh, with almost all of our, our Jewish leaders, probably all of them. And, you know, it reminds me of, a, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the late Lubavitcher Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Chabad Rebbe. And... If you read the book Rebbe by Joseph Telushkin, which is a great book, he explains that when the previous um, Rebbe passed away, you know, a lot of the Hasidim begged the, the last Lubavitch Rebbe to, to, you know, take the mantle of leadership and to, to become the next Rebbe. And he really, like, hesitated. And he, he did not run to fill that void. He, he thought about it. He prayed about it. There was even a scene where he, like, was crying about it. And I think he recognized, you know, like this was his purpose in life, kind of how, you know, Moshe recognized, like he couldn't run away from his, his God-given role. He, but, you know, it's amazing to see this, this level of humility in Jewish leaders. And it's definitely not what we see today in modern politics. So the fact that Moshe was able to recognize that he was humble is not a contradiction because being humble doesn't mean you don't recognize your inner strengths. It just means you don't run around, you know, always talking about yourself or bragging or, you know, you're, you're 
you're not always focused on your own presence, but you're aware of your inner strength. So Moshe, the Torah describes Moshe as literally the, the most humble man on the earth. And he was able to recognize that like Mount Sinai, he had this humility that made him fit to be a leader. So Rav Yisrael Mir Lau, who is a Holocaust survivor, he, he went through the camps as a child and he has the most unbelievable autobiography called Out of the Depths, which I'm so passionate about that I, even though it's not really related to what we're talking about today, I'm going to link it below. It's, it's an amazing book, but he explains that, um, humility is really the starting point for receiving the Torah and really for any spiritual growth. You know, as I said earlier, I grew up in the five towns and I had all these misconceptions about Orthodox Jews. And when I had this opportunity to go on the Israel trip when I was 19 um, studying at Emory, you know, at that time I had been taking classes on Eastern spirituality and getting into a meditation. And I found a lot of connection there, as do many Jews, you know, who don't grow up religious. They a lot of them find, you know, spirituality, spirituality, Eastern traditions And when I had this opportunity to go to Israel and learn Torah in like a very authentic setting, I decided to to really give it, give it a fair chance because I was running around giving all these other traditions a fair chance. Why not give my own religion a fair chance? You know, maybe there was something that I, you know, maybe there was something that I would find that I would be surprised. I, I was willing to have an open mind. And it was that kind of humility that we're talking about here that was really the starting point for my growth, that I was able to go to Israel and kind of put aside the externals of how the teachers looked and, and really listen to, to what they were saying. And, you know, the wisdom that I was hearing, it really just transcended all of that external stuff and all of these like labels of like Orthodox and wig and beard and black and white and all these things you think of when you see Orthodox Jews. I mean, this wisdom I was hearing was so relevant and so deep and it, it resonated with me so much that, you know, I couldn't help but, but continue learning. So I actually went to Penn Law School, which is not Harvard Law, but it's still a top 10 law school. And after law school, I went back to Israel to continue my learning. And when I was in seminary then, they placed me in like the beginner class for for Hebrew learning because my my skills were so basic that I had to start, you know, start from the very beginning. You know, I know Aleph base, but after that, I didn't know much. And um, it was very humbling, you know, going from like an Ivy League law school to like that kind of beginner setting. But like, that's what you have to do sometimes when you want to grow spiritually and you want to attain wisdom. You have to be willing to humble yourself. And um, it actually reminds me of the story of Rabbi Akiva. For those who are not familiar, Rabbi Akiva was originally a shepherd. He did not grow up religious. And he went to work for one of the richest men in Israel at the time. And this landowner's daughter, Rachel, was very pious. And she saw something in Rabbi Akiva. And she said to him, if you learn Torah, I'll marry you. But he was like, it's too late for me. You know, he was already 40 years old. But then he, he was outside and he saw water dripping on a rock. And he thought if water droplets can change the shape of a rock over time, surely words of Torah can enter my heart, which is flesh. So with that, they got married and he started learning and he, he began learning with like children because he had no background. And literally he became one of the greatest rabbis of not only his generation, but all of Jewish history. Everyone knows Rabbi Akiva. Um, so it just shows that if, if you're willing to be humble and you're willing to, to start somewhere that you can actually really attain greatness. The story gives me a lot of encouragement. It's funny that the image of the water dripping on the rock was what inspired Rabbi Akiva because a symbol for Torah is water. You know, as water flows naturally from a high to a low place, so too Torah teachings can really only be internalized by humble people. 
And the Torah also teaches that in the place where an arrogant person stands, there's no room for Hashem. And this is why you see the, this is really reflected in the Jewish calendar because, you know, we start with Pesach and what's the point of Pesach? To get rid of our chametz, to get rid of our bread. And bread is puffed up. It represents the ego. So the first thing we do is we're clearing out our ego. And this is like the basis for beginning to receive the Torah because this whole process of coming to Shavuos really starts with Pesach. So we, we remove our chametz. We're removing our ego. We're eating plain, simple matzah. And then we have seven weeks where we're kind of counting the Omer, working on our character, refining ourselves and preparing ourselves to receive the Torah on Shavuos. And Shavuos is, is really a time where we are like re-experiencing. We're able to re-experience this, this wedding between the Jewish people and Hashem and him giving us the Torah. So it's actually a beautiful time to kind of like reevaluate, you know, our own relationship with Hashem and his Torah. You know, one of the amazing things about the, the Torah is the Jewish calendar and you know, at first I felt like, you know, it's kind of boring, like always reading the same parshas, always celebrating the same holidays year after year, over and over. But Dr. Rabbi Akiva Tetz taught me that the Jewish calendar is actually a spiral circling upward because ideally, you know, as we go through time, we change as people, we grow and we work on ourselves and we experience new things. And so when we come back to that point on the calendar each year, we are different people, hopefully we have changed. And so we experience the holiday differently and take different things out of it, which is such a beautiful idea. And we're actually in the Hebrew month of Sivan right now. And the zoo, um, astrological sign is Gemini, which is represented by twins. And there's a beautiful quote, which says Hashem chose this particular time to present his people with the Torah to symbolize his unity with us. Just as twins feel each other's happiness and discomfort, so does Hashem exult in our joys and suffer in our pain. And that's from a book called Forever and All by Rachel Weiss. And it's really amazing that the Hashem chose this time, which is represented by the twins, to, to kind of indicate his special relationship with, with the Jewish people through the Torah. And this, fact, this idea that Hashem feels our happiness and feels our suffering, it's like we have a real life relationship with Hashem. And, you know, there have been times in my life where I've literally felt angry at Hashem, you know, and I am embarrassed to admit this publicly because I feel so blessed in so many ways, but you know, it happens. And, it, and to feel angry at Hashem is, is like a level because it means you really believe in God and recognize that he's, he's in your life. And, you know, it's a real relationship. You know, I talk, I try to talk to him every day in my own words and tell him how I'm feeling and what I'm hoping for. And, you know, this is how we build a real relationship, just like we would build with anyone else. But what's so special is that we have the Torah. Also, we have a guidebook where we're, we're able to get a glimpse into Hashem's mind and see what he wants from us, both as a nation and as an individual. And this has been like the biggest thing for me that I've taken out of the Torah personally is that it's, it's provides tools. It provides clarity. Like I, I feel like I know what Hashem wants from me. And it's been actually, especially comforting during this time of quarantine, because, you know, so many things are so out of our control, but I realize it's not about the circumstances we're in, you know, though the circumstances are mostly out of our control. What what's in our control is our thoughts, speech and action in any given moment. And, you know, having the Torah, I feel like I'm able to really have clarity as to how how to behave properly at all times and, and make the most of of each day and, and get the most satisfaction and fulfillment out of each day because I'm, I'm acting as, as best I can in terms of my relationship with myself and with other people and, and with Hashem, or at least I'm trying. You know, spiritual growth is, it's like climbing a ladder. And I was thinking like, maybe that's why Hashem chose to give the Torah on a mountain. You know, it kind of represents that, 
that upscale climb that's required when you want to grow in life. The Torah says Moshe could have gone up on the mountain for 40 years <laughs> or 400 years, and he still would not have gained a full full understanding of Hashem's ways. And, you know, I feel like at least for me, I started out on this journey like, oh, you know, if the Torah makes sense to me 100%, and, and if I get all of my answers 100%, like I'm going to commit to this. But it's like nobody can ever know anything 100%. You know, we, ne- we don't base our daily decisions on 100% knowledge of anything. You know, everything's probability. And, um, you know, obviously Judaism is like an intellectual religion and there's answers for sure. Um, but this, this presumption that we can fully understand God's ways, you know, it, it goes back to what we were saying, how we need to have a certain level of humility when starting out on a spiritual journey that we can't know everything and we don't have all the answers. But, but with that understanding, we can actually come to, to get some answers versus, you know, someone who thinks, you know, I know everything or there's really nowhere to go from there. So even though, you know, I've become observant and I've had a long journey over the years, I still very much look at it like I'm still growing, I'm still climbing the ladder or the mountain or whatever it is, and I still have so much more to learn, so much more wisdom to learn. The Torah has infinite wisdom, layers and layers of meaning, and that mindset is a growth mindset and is what we're talking about here. So I just want to sum up that on Shavuos, we're celebrating or re-experiencing it as, as it were, Hashem's giving of the Torah to the Jewish people. And both Mount Sinai and Moshe were chosen to be the transmitters of Torah because of their humbleness, which is an essential prerequisite to receiving the Torah and growth in general. And I just want to give us all a blessing that we should be humble enough to, to attach ourselves to the Torah, the tree of life, and that we should keep growing, um, personally and in our relationship with others and Hashem and that we should be successful. And I wish everybody a Chag Sameach, have a great Shavuos, and I look forward to learning with you next week. Take care.